Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, folks, here we go. Welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Let's step back into the ring and back into time. In the Great Smoky Mountains, there ain't no hoss like the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. What's going on, Ron? Jeez, man. Good day. Beautiful. Beautiful weather, blue sky. Uh, everything is great. And uh, warming up a little bit. Sometimes it feels like it's going to be an early spring here. <laughs> Although the groundhog, I don't think, said that. But uh, yeah, 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 I think he was mistaken because by this Saturday or Friday, actually, I think we're going to be in the low 80s. And we had two or three days like that last week. So maybe the groundhog was mistaken this time. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he was a little bit wrong this time. I sure hope so. But, uh, you know, it's uh, but it's got a beautiful day today, man, and just been enjoying it. And as, as, as usual, uh, pretty busy. Got got, got some stuff, uh, stuff going on, man. Absolutely. You always have stuff going on. I tell you what, it seems like every stud cast now is loaded with action and something totally new, Ron. Can you give us a hint about what we're going to be talking about today? Because I just found out about something special for the next Studcast. So tell us what's going on. Well, today, man, we're going to be going back into Chill High Park's Jacob building. Uh, we're going to pack that sucker to the walls, too, man. We've got a tremendous card that would have probably just about filled the Coliseum. And we're going to, we're going to cram as many people as we can into that building that's made for 3,000, 3,500, and see if we can get 4,000 plus in there. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to, we're going to blow the doors off that son of a gun, man. Uh, so the biggest crowd ever in that building, uh, we're going to have for a sport, for a wrestling event anyway, and for any event of that type, uh, in that building and fans, uh, we're going to be shocked, man. And this one, uh, I believe people are going to be shocked, uh, listening to it. And actually seeing it was even worse <laughs> about uh, somebody in this one is actually going to get his arm broken for real in a match. Oh, stop it. Are you kidding? All right. I mean, was it something that was supposed to happen or not? Uh, no, no, it, it wasn't. But uh, neither was my father's injury three weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. When he went to the hospital. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it just shows that, uh, you know, the wrestling business might have been a work, but guys got hurt regularly in it. And uh, someone was making that trip, going to be making it in this stud cast uh, to the hospital to uh, to uh, get his get his arm set, man, to get to get back to being normal. Well, oh, we, we barely scratched the surface, and I can tell this is going to be a good one. So things were really getting real back then. So maybe a little too real. Speaking of being real, I'm sorry, Ron, if I'm out of line, but I can't wait for fans to know about what you told me is going to be happening next week on the Studcast. We're going to have a rare appearance by a guest live on a Studcast to celebrate the opening of your new territory, southeastern Pensacola, with its first ever event in Dothan, Alabama, my hometown, on March 3rd, 1978. Now you're moving into my territory, my years. And by the way, it was your 30th birthday. Yeah, pretty crazy, man. Open up a new company on your birthday. Yeah. Uh, so, 
Yeah, I guess that's, you know, I guess that's what they call it, man. I guess, Dave, you just kind of let the cat out of the bag and, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's all right. So, yes, we're going to have a special guest next, next week. And uh, we're going to also be discussing not just the opening of a new territory, which that's what we were doing, and not just uh, Andre the Giant wrestling in both of those territories next week. We're also going to have a, a pretty darn good Andre story that we're going to give fans next week. So, wow, it's going to be pretty well loaded. Uh, then a special guest uh, to boot, man. So, and we're going to have that special guest is going to be Charlie Platt, man, the commentator for Southeastern <laughs> Pensacola Wrestling. Uh, and he's going to be live with us. And plus, we're going to hear that first interview I ever did next week on the first Southeastern TV show produced in the WTVY studios in Dothan, Alabama. Wait. The one that you get a lot of the, what you, what we open our show with. Yes. From that interview. Yeah. From that. Yeah. Okay. Wait, are you telling me you invited Charlie Platt over to my house? What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. He says he knows you very well, man. So yeah. Charlie. looking forward to it. So. Charlie has visited here. He's always welcome. I love the kid with Charlie, except I don't like when he puts me in a headlock. I don't like it at all. All right, but listen, that's going to be fun, and I can't wait to have Charlie here and having him a, a part of this Studcast Live. I really can't wait. But I, I hope you don't mind, Stud, but there is another first for you that's going to be extremely exciting for fans. You now have your own streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Let me say that again. Classic Continental wrestling.com it is going to blow fans away when they go to classic continental wrestling.com they're going to find everything that has made ron fuller welch a historic wrestling figure i hope i haven't overstepped my boundaries on this ron but to me this is really huge news for all of your fans and true wrestling fans all over the world and i think it's big news for you as well well, you know, I mean, uh, to me, I can't. This is kind of the next step in my comeback to wrestling. You know, after being out of the sport for almost thirty years, and I've been, uh, you know, uh, trying to make a comeback here. And uh, there, this is where fans can find literally everything that I have done in the past, as well as everything I've done since I returned to the sport, which is about uh, four years ago or more. Now that I came back to the sport. And I've been uh, doing stud cast. I've been doing super stud cast. I've been doing all types of different shows. So uh, this this uh, this uh, site is going to capture the story of my wrestling life, basically, streaming all the way through Southeastern, through Continental Wrestling, through USA Wrestling, even some Gulf Coast shows. And uh, all my stud cast, my entire novel, Brutus, I'm going to read it uh, and read the entire book uh, in audio form over a course of a period of time on that uh, site. Uh, stud stories, uh, so Southeastern classic films will still be there, special documentaries. <laughs> and the first that's going on this streaming site is going to be a con with the Continental and USA favorite Wildcat Wendell Cooley. Wow. Documentary on Wendell Cooley. And uh, those do that documentary is going to be followed by others. So. We're going to be doing a lot of video projects in the future, man. And uh, so the, the new content uh, is going to be added to that son of a gun every day. That's cool. That is going to be so fantastic for fans all around the world. Everybody that's a fan of you and th they're really going to be excited. Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. And listen to this, fans. It is free for the first seven days after you sign up. Also, you can gift your subscription if you want to at any time. You can gift it to somebody else. It's available now. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Get a free one-week ride beginning today into Stud's streaming history. Speaking of riding today, so where are we headed first? Well, we're, we're going to begin another today's training. Uh, and uh, we've been starting it with that for quite a while. And, and this one's going to cover some owner responsibilities based around this date we're talking about. On that great day of March the 3rd, 1978, the opening day of southeastern Pensacola. And it's going to start with me dropping Andre off uh, at the hotel and uh, where we're going to be staying in Dothan, Alabama there in the and then uh, we, I'm going to continue on in the taxi ride after we flew in there and uh, go on out to the WTVY 
TV station outside the city. So yeah. we'll be doing that today. And uh, this is going to be my first time in that studio. And uh, I'm going to meet personally for the first time, Charlie Platt. And I'm also going to meet for the first time, the director of the TV shows for the next seven years there. A guy named Wayne Register. Great guy. Yeah. Tremendous yeah. job. Sure enough. Wow. And, uh, and then we'll be riding back to Knoxville for the big card, man, on Sunday, February 26, 1978. And uh, it's going to cause a door-busting crowd in the Jacobs Building in Chill High Park. Thousands of people are going to get turned away. And then we'll discuss the last February TV in the rating period in 1978 that maybe wasn't as loaded as the rest of the months that we've been doing. Uh, but this one, boy, is full of surprises. And we're going to also talk about the results of that card of uh, February 26, 1978, and the attendance. And then uh, we got another great learning tree question. Uh, why was Pensacola, Florida? becoming the home of Southeastern wrestler, <laughs> wrestling rather than Mobile, Alabama, where your father had chose in 1954 when he opened Gulf Coast Wrestling. I think I know That's the a quick, good question right there. <laughs> I think uh, I know the quick answer to that, but I'll hold it for later. All right, listen, it's another loaded stuck ass. I'm loaded. I hope I make it through this thing. I, I'm just kidding. I'm not loaded. We better... <laughs> We better yeah, man. <laughs> You're kind of loaded in a way all the time. Man. All right, we better get started, Stud. If we want to get that to that learning tree question, I know you got a lot today. Where do we Where do we start? Well, it's the training <laughs> session. Today's training is going to give fans an idea of what it was like to take care of one of the what I consider to be the most important things leading to a success of a wrestling company, and that was your television show. And I had spoken to Charlie Platt many times in the last few weeks preceding this first time down there about his employment, about his responsibilities, and uh, what was to come. Basically, uh, what I expected is going to happen down there, or I hope to have happen anyway. And we'd sent several TV shows already produced in the Knoxville Territory down to the station in Dothan, Alabama, WTVY. They sent it on to Montgomery. So we were being seen in that area down there for about a month before we went. But uh, this was going to be my first opportunity to meet also not just Charlie Platt in person, but uh, first opportunity to meet the new director that I'm going to be dealing with uh, for these extremely important television shows, man, vital to your company business. Uh, the studio was already set up for the TV show the next afternoon when I got there by taxi, and I sat down with Charlie at the desk in front of the set uh, that still had Gulf Coast Wrestling on the back of it, mm -hmm. on the front of it. You know, uh, it wasn't a set that said Southeastern, and and I'd, I'd just not had enough time to get a new set made, but it really didn't matter in my mind. The shows we had been sending in from Knoxville did not have anything on the set behind less. So, you know, people didn't know Obviously, the fans in that part of the country at that point were probably confused about what was happening to their Gulf Coast wrestling in the last couple of months. Uh, there was a couple of periods a week where they didn't have any show. And then we started sending them shows, but we didn't have a name for the company. They just were seeing some of the wrestlers, which is really what needed to happen. So Charlie Platt asked me the same question that I figure most of the fans out there watching the TV shows each week were probably asking each other. And he asked me, how and when will the fans become aware of what the name of your new company is? Hmm. And I answered him as honestly as I possibly could. I told him, in my opinion, I said, the, the name of the company was far less important than the quality of the wrestlers and the wrestling that the fans were going to see from here on out, hmm. that they wouldn't care. I didn't think that they were going to care who presented the show, only how good the program was and how much they enjoyed it. Yeah. Huh. So for many weeks, the Gulf Coast logo remained behind Charlie, maybe even months as, as I think about it. Uh, but the most important thing uh, about it all was the product in the ring in front of Charlie, not the set behind him. And by golly, I think that product was far superior to what those fans had seen maybe ever. So then Charlie took me upstairs into the control room and he introduced me to my Southeastern Pensacola director. Wayne Register was his name. 
great guy. Yeah. And Wayne had been every Saturday for the last few weeks, like I said, putting those state-of-the-art TV shows we were sending him produced in Knoxville on the air down there. And uh, he couldn't wait to tell me uh, when when I was introduced to him how blown away he was by the production techniques used on those shows that he'd been putting up, you know. And, uh, and I was really impressed by his recognizing uh, some of the things we were doing and his uh, definitely his appreciation for what he called in his words. He said, it's the best wrestling TV show I've ever seen. Wow. You know, so he mentioned the animated opening of the show. He mentioned the chroma key background that we used to display the still shots behind the set to open every show. He mentioned the rotating Greek wrestler statue, man, that we used <laughs> as bumpers to mm-hmm. open, close different segments of the show. He mentioned the split screen and uh, how we used two cameras on the same shot. And most of all, the thing that really blew him away the most was instant replay. He had <laughs> yeah. never seen instant replay on the tele- on the wrestling show. Yeah. So yeah. It, when he mentioned that, it kind of took me back to the first day of 1975 when Les and I met our Knoxville WBTR, BIR TV director, Bill Kincaid. And uh, we described, we sat with Bill, and we described uh, over a 20-minute period of time uh, all these futuristic ideas that we had, production ideas that we had in mind, and asked if he could do any of them. And I'll never forget his answer. He he said uh, to me, he said, in this production room, Ron, I can walk on water. (laughs) And and I instantly wanted to help Wayne Register walk on water for the southeastern Pensacola Territory, (laughs) same way Bill Kincaid had done for us in Knoxville. And I'd learned a lot from Bill Kincaid. And I asked Wayne, since he talked about uh, the instant replay, I asked him, I said, uh, how many two-inch tape machines do you have mm-hmm. here? And uh, we were in the production room. He took me back there and then, you know, he pointed to him and, uh, and he said two. And uh, obviously I could see him. So I told him right then, I said, uh, then Wayne, you can do instant replay. Hmm. And he lit up like a Christmas tree. It's like, <laughs> are you kidding? Well, how? You know, so in less than 15 minutes, I taught him what Kincaid had taught me. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, uh, because Kincaid had walked me through the process of how to do an instant replay. I knew exactly how to do it. Yeah. And when I finished and he did it and he was he was so proud of learning something that he thought was almost impossible. <laughs> right. And so did a whole lot of other television stations around the country. You know, we were the first to do the instant replays. Yeah. And a lot of stations didn't know they could do it. They didn't know how to do it. So the next day, when we made that first Southeastern Pensacola TV, there were four instant replays after all four of those matches. Wow. Over the next seven years, Wayne Register became, for me, a Bill Kin- Kincaid. He walked on water every time he made a TV show, and that made Southeastern Pensacola's <laughs> TV just as good as Knoxville's. Man, you really, you really lucked up when you had a, a man like Wayne Register, who who not only really knew his stuff, but he was open minded as well. He was willing to learn, so that had to be the first sign that this is really going to go great. Yeah, you, you, it makes you feel good. Like I yeah. said, man, uh, he recognized uh, the difference between the well, programs. He, he he appreciated all those special things that was in that show, yeah. and he wanted to do them. He, yeah. he wanted to learn it. He wanted to do it. And by yeah. golly, he did. He got he figured it all out and really quick. Yeah, and if anybody could, Wayne certainly could. What a legend. Okay, another great today's training stud. I love. I really love these segments. Now that I think about it, having watched Gulf Coast TV shows. Before Southeastern started, there was a huge difference between the two shows. So what was the card? February 26, 1978. And let's go back to Chill Howie Park in Knoxville. Well, this card uh, was going to be smaller than what we'd been running on a weekly basis for the last uh, probably six weeks. While we were making these two wrestling shows, we were putting a lot of wrestlers on those cards on Sunday because we could keep them in town get them in there on Saturday, do TV, and then uh, keep them there for Sunday. And so we used them that way. And uh, so 
But a lot of those guys at this point, now we're about ready to start up there. They've already left Knoxville. and They've moving down to Pensacola. So it was also that way because we smaller cart, because we knew the smaller building was not going to hold, man, what we had been drawing. You know, it was really tough to, to have to go into a small building when we were drawing 5,000 or more and knowing that this building is no way it's going to put that many people in it. So it was uh, it was all still uh, loaded with uh, the car dope with great wrestlers. And that was really important. We were we had some tremendous talent at that point. It's a smaller card, but by gosh, all good. And the best way to tell how good the card was is who is on the first match. And on this night, the first match, and actually it's a Sunday afternoon. The mm-hmm. first match was Jimmy Golden. Wow. And he opened the match the night against uh, Doug Gilbert, who was the returning pro, who had been there for quite a while mm-hmm. and was coming back for a short stay. Uh, Ricky Gibson uh, was in the second match. He, he had his shot at the constantly interfering manager, Gorgeous George Jr., in a single match. And Joe LaDuke battled the hangman. And in the Texas death match, Ronnie Garvin was eager to get his hands on Roy Lee Welch again, which he had been uh, eager to do for about three out of the last five weeks. And in the Southeastern Championship match on this card, the Mongolian Stomper managed by Gorgeous George Jr. is going to be defending for the first time ever against Tony Charles. The main event was a six-man tag in a steel cage with Robert Fuller, the Tennessee stud, and the Georgia jawjacker facing off against Ron Wright, hmm. Don Carson, and the Assassin. Wow. that I mean, indeed, another great card, Ron. So what happened on the Saturday TV show the day before this card, the big run-up? Well, let's ran, ran down the card for the day, as we have started off all the shows with. It had no championship matches on this one, but it had some very unusual ones, uh, like a surprise first match, uh, great personality profiles on it, and another six-man tag is going to be on this one. So uh, when the cameras backed away from Les, uh, Gorgeous George Jr. was there sitting with him. The stomper had his southeastern belt on, and he had his truck shock, and he was cranking that sucker big time. He had him a big sweat going. He'd probably been cranking it for 30 minutes before he went to the set. And uh, the still shot on the set behind them was from the TV show the week before. And uh, it showed Ricky Gibson with a sleeper hold on Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, in the studio. Right. <laughs> so uh, so Les told fans that Gigi had demanded and he made it specific uh, that the fans understood. He said, uh, and Gigi sitting there and he said, uh, Gigi, I want you and all the fans to be aware that uh, you demanded from Don Curtis that he see this video and the entire incident that happened to you last week. And the picture behind us tells what the problem is. And it, and that big shot of uh, Ricky Gibson put the sleeper hole behind him and he sneaked up. So let's ask Ken K to run the video. Uh, and uh, that's what evidently uh, Gigi said he wanted Don Curtis to do, by gosh. So so it showed Gibson sneaking up behind Gigi and applying a sleeper hole after Gigi had hit Jimmy Golden with an object. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, did, it didn't show that part, but it showed him, you know, put, getting the sleeper hole put on him. But uh, mm-hmm. then Gigi didn't, ignored uh, the hitting of Golden. You know, but he got real indignant about what happened to him as the video ran, you know, about how the heck, what kind of person sneaks up on a man. And and then when it ended, uh, Gigi, basically, he was happy with himself and he got up to leave. And he, he said to Les, you know, and, you know, he said, it, it looks like I put Don Curtis in his place. He said, since you had to open the show with the video, I demand, <laughs> I guess he's listening to me, you know, so <laughs> Les <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and he's about to walk off with Stomper and Les says, oh, wait, wait, just a second. Uh, you know, uh, before you go, he goes, uh, I want you to watch another video with me, the Don Curtis. He said, this time, Don Curtis demanded you watch this one. So, so Gigi, unhappily, he took a seat again. And uh, and I, he was wondering, I'm sure, what text going to go on. And a second video popped up. And it was from the match six days earlier with Ricky Gibson against his stomper for the Southeastern title. And Gigi instantly asked Les, uh, 
why, why are you running this? You know? So, <laughs> and there, and about that time it showed Gigi taking an object from the, from his jumpsuit and that he always managed in and he, and knocking Ricky Gibson unconscious with it. Then the stomper just walked over and covered Gibson for the win. <laughs> so Gigi got angry and demanded to know what this had to do with him. You know? So, <laughs> So Les says, well, the, before you get too excited here, he says, I want you to watch one more video. So uh, all of a sudden, the next person that popped up on the big screen behind the man was Don Curtis. And uh, Don was very brief. And he, you know, he started out, you know, and he said, uh, you know, I didn't, he said, uh, I, I, didn't, I don't like, he basically said, I don't like people demanding me to do anything, he said. And, and uh, that uh, he said, uh, I had seen this incident from TV last week, the one that uh, that uh, you were put the sleeper on GG. And he says, but uh, I have much more often seen the type of incident that was just shown in that last video where GG is doing something to somebody else. And he, he said, basically, it's proof that GG as a manager had been consistently involved in matches making himself more like a wrestler than a manager. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that he said, uh, you know, so now he says, I'm going to make a demand of you, gorgeous George Jr. He said, since, since you wanted uh, to be involved like a wrestler uh, in matches, it appears that that's what you want. It's time for you to become one. He said, and, and he says, uh, just to make sure that that happens, he says, you're going to wrestle on TV today, right now. <laughs> first match and tomorrow you're going to wrestle in the Coliseum against Ricky Gibson. So, oh, Oh, <laughs> no, Gigi, <laughs> we can imagine Gigi, well, the studio exploded before Gigi and the stomper did. They beat him to it. And then uh, Gigi jumped up from his seat saying he, he wasn't a wrestler anymore. That he I'm didn't even have any wrestling gear. Here I'm a manager. Him. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And he don't <laughs> have any clothes, no wrestling tights, no <laughs> boots, no, you know, the whole deal. So, uh, less, <laughs> less, instead of feeling sorry for him, he yelled over to Phil Rainey, who's standing by the bell there that's going to do the announcement. And he said, ring the bell for the first match, Phil. <laughs> 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 so the fans were going nuts in the studio, man. And Gigi when Stomper was going nuts too, you know, and the studio just got louder, man. Cause the guy that came into wrestling was wildfire, Tommy rich, man. He <laughs> slid up in the ring. Oh, wildfire was always ready. Oh know. my God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, though, so that left the Stomper and Gigi standing outside the ring. They were looking at wildfire up in there and the Gigi's uh, trying to tell the Stomper, I, I ain't prepared. I, you know, whatever the conversation was. And, uh, Stomper had to, it was so loud. Stomper put his hands over his ears, which wasn't unusual for him. It mm -hmm. got loud in that studio. And Ricky Gibson entered the studio behind them. They didn't know he was there. <laughs> kind of like he had done the week before. And he grabbed Gigi by the pantsuit and he threw him in the ring. And then he disappeared. <laughs> he was gone. <laughs> well, now, man, the studio got even louder, boy. And they all were on their feet, man. Tommy Rich flew into old Gigi. Wow. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> what's what's crazy, Stud? Is it sounds like the end of the TV show, but this is the beginning of the TV show. <laughs> yeah, they normally end kind of like this. But yeah, this one gets yeah. off to a bang. <laughs> so I was just beginning, you know. It was just beginning, uh, especially with this being the first match. And Tommy did everything you could imagine to Gorgeous George Jr. He bumped him. He threw him everywhere. He put holes on him. He just. The crowd couldn't sit down, man. They never got quiet. I mean, they just roared. They were loving it. And uh, soon Gigi was just dragging, man. He was totally blown up, and he he sucked down into the ropes, just hanging on in desperation. And Tommy's just nailing him with punch after punch after punch. So Gigi, kind of in desperation, man, he reached up, grabbed Tommy by the trunks. And then he dropped down on his rear end, and he kind of shot Tommy over his head and through the ropes and out onto the concrete. Tommy wasn't expecting it. He hit face first on the concrete. And uh, the stomper's standing out there, right? So Gigi grabbed the ref, and he turned his back, turned the referee around. Uh, his back was the stomper. And uh, so the stomper could do what he wanted, basically. And uh, Tommy 
rolled over, made the mistake of rolling over onto his back. And Stomper was backed off a little ways. And boy, he flew like a bat out of hell. He stomped Tommy right in the face on a concrete floor. Oh. Mm. And Stomper quickly picked up the limp body because it, it about knocked the. Uh, Tommy unconscious and he kind of just rolled Tommy back and put him into the ring and uh, Gigi walked over and covered wildfire and uh-huh. counted him out and uh, Gigi was uh, couldn't couldn't get up he crawled over to the edge of the ring and Stomper just reached and grabbed him like a baby threw him over his shoulder <laughs> and carried him to the dressing room oh my god Wow. All right. So that's an incredible way to start a TV show. So w- what do you do after that? How do you follow that? Wow. Well, you know, the Stomper and Gigi didn't follow it. <laughs> they failed to show up for the first interview <laughs> right after that first match as scheduled. And uh, so Ricky Gibson and Tony Charles is going to be wrestling Stomper. Uh, they just came out and took the whole interview. <laughs> so, and Ricky was ecstatic, obviously, about the Don Curtis allowing him to have a one-on-one match with Gigi in the ring, you know, and uh, Tony loved the fact that he was going to get his first shot at the Southeastern belt. And he wasn't going to have to worry about Gigi because Ricky was going to be wrestling Gigi a couple matches before that. And, uh, and you know, he looked at <laughs> he looked at Ricky and he says, I don't think he'll be able to get to the ring, will he? <laughs> and Ricky says, no, he won't be there. <laughs> so basically, Ricky is going to take care of his butt. So yeah. they both got up from the desk and they high-fived each other. Man, the studio cheered them. Man, it, it was a... Quite a quite a celebration in the first part of the show, and uh, then the party continued on. Man, Tony went straight to the ring. Uh, he hadn't been on TV in a while. He got him a really strong win, and then Gigi and the Stomper, they finally made it out to take the second interview, and uh, they were fired up by then. Gigi had caught his breath, and uh, they were mad. So Gigi told fans uh, that by no means that they had any idea what kind of wrestler he was. And neither did Ricky Gibson or the Southeastern commissioners, Don Curtis, and that Don Curtis had opened Pandora's box, man, and nobody knew now what was coming next. And that his stomper was going to give that little limey from Great Britain the wrestling lesson of a lifetime. Then he was going to stomp his face and that crooked nose that Tony Charles had. (laughs) He's going to be straight again. Oh, my God. You're <laughs> going to stomp his broken nose straight again, basically. He's going to do him a favor. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Do him a favor. Stomp yeah. his nose, <laughs> his broken nose back straight. And, <laughs> and the fans didn't much like how the last interview ended, but the first part of this show, man, was rocking. I can tell you that. Absolutely sounds like it. All right, listen, I'll tell you what. Let's take a breath. This is a great place for a break. Be sure and stay with us for this break. In it, we're going to be talking about how to set up this next week for you on YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. The personality profile is coming up when we return, and it's with Robert Fuller, the Tennessee stud, and the Georgia jawjacker. That is going to happen when we come back right here. Last week, Southeastern Rewind on YouTube featured Studcast number 238 on Wednesday, February 23rd, the double world championship night of February 20th, 1978. Harley Race versus Joe LaDuke and Nelson Royal versus Tony Charles. Thursday, February 24th, Continental Wrestling Show number 17, great championship matches with host Gordon Soley from November 9th, 1985. Sunday, February 23rd, Southeastern Classics number four, Ron Wright versus Louis Tillette, 1976. Monday, February 28th, we released Gulf Coast clip number one, Cowboy Bob Kelly versus The Intern, date unknown. And Tuesday, March 1st, stud story number 21, NWA champion Tommy Rich. So now here's the schedule for this week for Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. For the week of Wednesday, March 2nd to Tuesday, March 8th. Wednesday, March 2nd, Studcast number 239. Ronnie Garvin breaks Roy Lee Welch's arm for real. Thursday, March 3rd, Continental TV number 18. More great Continental action with host Gordon Soley from 1985. 
Sunday, March 6, Southeastern Classics, number five. Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden versus the Southeastern Tag Champion Von Steiger Brothers, 1976. Monday, March 7th, Gulf Coast Wrestling Clip number two. Tuesday, March 8th, Stud Story number 22. Vince's Greed number two. Don't miss it on Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. All right, welcome back to another Studcast. It's David Summers with the Tennessee Stud. Let me mention this again. It's brand new. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com ClassicContinentalWrestling.com You got to check it out. Only $4.99 per month. $39.99 per year. And listen to this, fans. It is free for the first seven days after you sign up. Check it out. If for some reason you don't like it, you're not obligated. But we know you're going to love it. Also, you can gift your subscription anytime to someone else. It's available now. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com Get a free one-week ride today into the Studs streaming history. You are gonna dig it. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com You gotta check it out. Okay, it looks professional. I looked at it. I think it's the real deal. And this is the one you're gonna want to be a part of. All right, so we're back for the personality profile. I assume, Stud, this one is going to be about the upcoming cage match the next day, right? That's correct, man. Thank you. Very good. Thank you very much. And and, uh, it also has a very good video, man, in this this profile of a wild six-man tag in front of well over 5,000 fans from the week before with that big double world title night, uh, uh, more than 5,500 fans. Wow, big fuel full costume. Uh, Rob, uh, the Georgia Jaw Jacker, and the Tennessee Stud uh, finally had their opportunity to sit down with Les uh, as, as Carson and Wright and the Assassin had had the opportunity a couple weeks earlier and discuss pretty much everything that had been going on. Uh, they talked a little bit about the interference. Uh, on lose-or-leave matches that had caused both Ron Fuller and Bob Armstrong to have to leave Southeastern. They talked about the new Southeastern commissioner, Don Curtis, and uh, how much all three of them respected him. And, uh, gosh, everybody respected Don, or he beat the hell out of you. You know, he was was a tough dude. And, uh, you know, then uh, they talked about the steel cage matches. And uh, how they this being a six-man steel cage match, that it was going to require all six men to be in the ring at the same time because a big 20-foot ring uh, was not uh, going to allow you to get out on the apron and tag back and forth. So all six guys are going to be in the ring in a steel cage match. And uh, speaking of that steel cage match, it brought up the video from the last Monday's double world title card. And uh, – that was a six-man tag. It wasn't in the cage, but that that video showed the punishment the assassin took, man, on his lower body in the six-man Texas death match. That's what the rules were in that six-man tag the week before. And, uh, and it showed how uh, the assassin wasn't able to get to his feet anymore, uh, finally, and he was counted out. And then the video showed all six of the guys. Uh, none of them left the ring. And uh, they end up, we end up fighting out there on the floor and all over the building. And, uh, you know, uh, so it was a reason for having a cage match. And basically that video explained it. uh, Picture was worth a thousand words. At the closing Mm -hmm. of the profile, uh, the three of them predicted that the cage match the next day was going to see somebody get hurt badly. It seems like to me, that like every match on the upcoming card for the next day was getting some real huge attention to me, like a pay-per-view would today. All the matches were really ready. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and uh, you know, that's kind of what made territories and TV shows great back in the day, especially when we had talent book bookers, man, that had more than two angles going at a time. This TV had four angles going. No. Mm-hmm. So the Ricky Gibson and the gorgeous George Jr. match has been on involved here. You've got gorgeous George had to wrestle already. You had Ricky Gibson throw him in the ring to get there. Uh, you got the Tony Charles and the Mongolian Stomper match coming up the next day. And uh, that's they They're already involved in that interviews. You got the six man cage and then you got one more. 
And the, and the last one is going to end up being probably the most important of all of them. Hmm. Yeah. And so only six matches on the whole card. The last angle had to be the Texas death match between Ronnie Garvin and Roy Lee Welch, right? Yes, sir, man. You you kept up good with that card, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's a good guess, you know, and uh, and that's where the focus is going to go next, man, in the third match. So okay. Roy Lee Welch, uh, he joined Les at the set to watch the video from five days earlier, and uh, where Ronnie Garvin uh, in an ODQ match was, did everything he could. You know, it was no DQ, so he could do anything he wanted to. He threw him over the top rope. He did everything illegal that he wanted to, but he couldn't get the pin, you know. Hmm. And uh, and so, again, it had, didn't happen for Ronnie Garvin. He had yet to beat Roy Lee Welch. So for the third time in, in the last five weeks, Roy Lee just would not be beat. So the next match, the following day, was going to be a Texas death match. That one's no time limit, no disqualification, and ain't going to end up in a draw like a, like these other did. This is going to have a winner. Got to be a winner, Texas death match. So Ronnie Garvin passed by the set. Uh, Royley was still there, uh, uh, sitting with Les, and, uh, and he was on his way to the ring for the third match, and he yelled as he went by. You could pick up his voice. He said, DeRoy, he says, watch this. This is you tomorrow, man. <laughs> So his opponent God. was the unluckiest guy of the day, I can tell you that. So wow. Garvin literally took him apart. My, he beat piece by piece, man, before jumping off the top rope in his throat. But then instead of pinning him like he normally did, Garvin turned this guy over on his stomach, and he turned him over in the direction so that he could face Roy Lee Welch, mm -hmm. you know, who was still at the set. And then he sat down in the guy's back. He put his hands underneath his chin, and he reared back as hard as he could. You could almost hear the guy's vertebrae crack, man. Oh. And, uh, and the guy screamed so loud you could pick it up, man. Uh, and the and the crowd was booing like crazy at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, he was, he, he, oh, wow, it was horrible. So the ref, he'd seen enough. I mean, you know, Garvin should have pinned him already, and he's now he's just, he's just punishing him, man. So uh, the ref got grabbed Ronnie Garvin's hands and he tried to pull him away. Um, but then Garvin wouldn't let him and Garvin screamed loud enough that you could be picked up on. This is Mike. He says, this is you tomorrow, punk. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the ref rang the bell again and again, but Garvin still wouldn't stop. So when he finally did, the ref just reached down and he raised that poor guy's hand. It's laying there uh, down near decapitated, yeah. you know, uh, and they mm. disqualified Ronnie Garvin. But Ronnie didn't care. <laughs> he, he never took his eyes off Royley. And Royley got up and left the set. <laughs> I mean, huh. uh, you know, wow, that's uh, – Garvin's making a big statement, basically. And Roy's, Roy's, uh, Roy's seeing it. Yeah, no doubt. That's pretty intense. So how did this TV show end? Well, it was another six-man tag. Uh, this six-man tag made a record three out of the last four TVs that had a six-man tag on it. And I don't think it ever happened again. Uh, Ron Wright, Don Carson, and the Assassin were in this one, man, and they destroyed their three-man team quick-like. And uh, they had the entire two minutes for the interview mm -hmm. because Robert and the two masked men They'd had their interview already during the personality profile. <laughs> okay, so you were not wrong when you said earlier that this last rating TV period uh, was was not as loaded with championship matches as the other three. But in my opinion, maybe it, it I mean, it could have been the best all of the February TVs combined, in my opinion. So, so what happens the next day? Well, Jimmy Goldman, he continued a string of big wins over the wrestler that, that had been there, hadn't been there in a while, uh, Doug Gilbert, the pro. And uh, Ricky Gibson went to the ring for his match with Gorgeous George Jr. But Gigi never appeared. So Phil Rainey, who was the announcer, he made an announcement. He wasn't there at the ring either uh, when, uh, when Ricky got there. And so uh, he got to the ring and he made an announcement that uh, he had spoken to Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, minutes earlier and uh, that Gorgeous George said to tell all the fans 
that he was deathly sick with food poisoning and he could not possibly wrestle today. Well, yes, you can imagine the building erupted in booze. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> happy yeah. with this, this yeah. scenario. <laughs> and needless to say, neither was Ricky Gibson. Uh, but uh, a fan, a guy came down. The guy was, was there, and, uh, you know, he came down, and he said, I'll take his place. And that guy was David Schultz. Oh. So, wow, they had a hell of a match, Ricky Gibson and David Schultz, man. Uh, but the fans were still unhappy. Uh, you know, basically, uh, but thankfully, uh, they were unhappy with Gigi rather than the company. It was Gigi's idea. So Gigi's heat just got hotter after that incident, man. People were really mad at him now. And uh, Ricky Gibson, obviously, he won the match over David Schultz. Uh, Joe LaDuke wrestled the hangman, and he hung the hangman in his bear hug. <laughs> wow, Joe was a hoss. And uh, the hangman was a 300-plus-pound guy, too. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was a that was a big-time match. Uh, then the Ronnie Garvin and the Roy Lee Welch Texas death match was absolutely brutal. Hmm. Uh, Garvin focused on Roy's right arm the entire match. Oh. And, the, and he... And the second time, now he jumped off on his arm one time, and then he went back up and he jumped off the top rope on his arm again. And Roy's body, the second time he jumped, was at a bad angle, and uh, it actually and pretty obviously broke his arm. Oh no! He landed on it. Wow! And uh, and it was a nasty break, man, oh. uh, and then sickening to watch, you know, and. And the fans, fans were as shocked as I was. I was up on the second balcony when it happened, and I was like, oh, God, man. Wow, that's horrible looking. So uh, McMurray, man, was a great referee and a sharp guy, man. Yeah. And he, he realized how horrible that bent arm looked, and he grabbed a towel. There was a towel there by the uh, timekeeper's table, and he grabbed a towel, and he covered up Roy's arm with it which I watched and I was so glad he did that because fans were about to vomit. Mm. I mean, it was terrible looking. Right? Wow. So Roy was taken to the hospital, man, uh, to get a cast put on his arm, obviously. And, uh, and he never wanted to see, uh, you know, uh, you, you just didn't want to see a thing like that happen for real. But it was absolutely obvious what had happened. And, and there wasn't a fan in that building, I can tell you, that could have ever denied that that wasn't real. Uh. I mean, Things like that made believers out of those that didn't believe, especially after they witnessed it with their own eyes. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in my years watching the sport. I know I've seen a lot, but I mean, fans must have, I mean, they must have told everybody about that after, after seeing that, then you see something like that. It stays with you. They, they must've told everybody. Oh, well, I'm sure they did, man. I, I did too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, wow, yeah. man. So, I, and Roy and I talked about it later after, you know, about three or four days later, you know, and uh, I went to see him and, uh, you know, and, and he agreed. Uh, he agreed <laughs> that, uh, that our family members have been real proud of him, man. <laughs> Herb and Roy <laughs> Wilkes and his dad, Lester, and my dad, and, uh, Wow, all the crazy son of a guns in my family, they would have gone, wow, that's great, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you you really gave it up for the business, man. Yeah, way <laughs> so, to take it. Yeah. Yeah. So so remember, you know, I said earlier that this angle was going to become one of the biggest ever. Uh, what, I can't hardly wait, man, to tell people what's going to happen next week and uh, what, what this, uh, this accidental uh, arm breaking is going to turn into one of the best matches of all time in southeastern history. So, uh, wow. So there was still no gorgeous George Jr. for the Mongolian Stomper man. <laughs> he did. He didn't show up for the Stompers deal either. Uh, for the southeastern championship with Tony Charles in the next one, and uh, Tony Man was a. Uh, Going south to Pensacola anyway, and the Stomper proved he really didn't have to have a manager to get a big win. And Stomper got even stronger after that win, beating Tony Charles in the middle. And uh, so did Southeastern Knoxville get stronger, man. It was one of the first benefits I saw uh, of having a second territory. So second man, uh, you know, six-man cage match was, it was <laughs> outstanding. Wow. I mean, that building, it did. They rolled. I, I was surprised the roof stayed on. It lasted for almost a half hour. 
and uh, and it left the assassin beaten and laying with it with a leg injury, kind of like he was the week before, but this time it was worse. And he was stretchered to the dressing room uh, by an angry Ron Wright and Don Carson and a couple of other people on that stretcher carrying that stretcher because the assassin's a pretty big boy. Wow. And, uh, and the assassin was going to never return to Southeastern Knoxville again. Wow. So you had to, it had to be a big night. What was attendance like for that day? Well, there, there was no fire marshal there. Oh, uh, and, uh, you know, so that, that, that's going to make a difference, obviously. And uh, there were thousands more in there than that building would hold that gosh, there was no doubt about that. Uh, I never got an exact number on that, on that crowd, but it was the most people I had ever seen in that building. Uh, ticket sellers uh, after it was over, a couple of them were usually hanging around and they told me that they figure at least two, 3000 people got turned away. That, that would have would have loved to have gotten in. Man, what so is that? I, I'm, I, I know it's. I know it was in excess of four thousand in a building that probably shouldn't have had three thousand in it. Man, don't that hurt when you when they tell you you how much money walked away without getting in? Yeah, well, and if you notice and you think about this month here, Dave, mm-hmm. that we've just gone through, uh, yeah. two of these matches have been on Monday nights. Yep, and the last one is not even in the Coliseum. Yeah, that's so it. you know, yeah. it, and and uh, and all those Coliseum, the three matches in the Coliseum were all over five thousand people. God dang! So you know, I mean, yeah. yeah, it was terrible when you get the news from the Coliseum that hey, this you, you can't have this date. Yeah, you know, and you got to go to the little building. Now it was okay if it was outside in the big old, uh, you know, the park, the amphitheater. Yeah. Uh, that because you could put more people in the amphitheater, maybe than you could in the Coliseum. Yeah. So that yeah. was okay, but having to go into the little building was really bad. But yeah. you got no choice. It's February and it's pretty darn cold outside. Yeah, and there's a dollar sign attached to those two thousand. I mean, what three, four, maybe five dollars with each? I don't know. That's that's got to be uh, kind of a little sickening to see that walk away. All right, so Stud, a good news. It is time for another learning tree question. This one comes from. A lady, her name is Claudia McCorkle. She asked, why was Pensacola, Florida becoming the home of Southeastern wrestling rather than Mobile, Alabama, where your father chose in 1954 when he opened Gulf Coast Wrestling? So why Pensacola over Mobile? Well, I guess she's from Mobile, isn't she? (laughs) (laughs) That could be. She's a little upset (laughs) by this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> she must have been a Mobile resident. Uh, but that's a good question, uh, Miss McCorkle. I don't know. Uh, I guess that's a good good way to uh, to recognize you. Uh, yeah. Uh, that decision, I got to tell you right off the bat, ma'am, uh, it was entirely mine. You know, and, and I have to admit, my decision was made due to only one thing. The beautiful beach. The beach. I knew that was my answer before. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) So so I was leaving Knoxville and the mountains and the fantastic lakes. With the beauty just about everywhere you looked in the Tennessee and the eastern side of Tennessee. But with so much beauty, I realized that it had a lot to do with the great talent that I'd been lucky to get there. You know, I realized that, wow, it's so beautiful there in Tennessee with the lakes and everything, the guys with their boats and everybody having a great time. And, uh, you know, uh, I was lucky to, to be in that part of the country and, mm-hmm. and uh, I was benefiting from it. And uh, many of those guys that were, that were there for the short trips and for, for just being in that gorgeous part of the America, man. So uh, during my few trips down to the Gulf Coast Territory before I bought it, I spent one day in the night on Pensacola Beach. And uh, and in that day, I realized that I had found another Knoxville, (laughs) except this one offered something much different than Tennessee. It offered the Gulf of Mexico, man. And uh, so Mobile and Alabama, you know, had the same Gulf there. And they had beaches in Mobile, too. But there was one huge difference in the two cities. And uh, Mobile's beaches were kind of a dirty brown color. And wow, the, the water was even more brown, you know, real dirty, right? And and I never could figure out why 50 miles, just 50 miles to the east mm-hmm. of Pensacola, 
the beach was so bright it hurt your eyes, man. <laughs> right, so right. Quite, yeah, you had you had to wear sunglasses or put your hands over your eyes. Yeah. And the water was almost crystal clear. So uh, so I could just see those guys in Knoxville, man, uh, with their boats on the lakes, having the opportunity to bring those boats 500 miles south, man, to another different type of paradise, man. And so uh, and my plans from the very beginning, when I decided that I wanted to do this two-territory thing, was to have two bookers and two crews. And to switch those bookers and those crews back and forth uh, about every year or so between the Tennessee paradise and the Gulf paradise. So I could have had some of the best wrestlers on the planet begging to get on board that ship, man. I can tell you that. <laughs> wow. They, so for sure. So Ms. McCorkle, uh, to put it simply, uh, Pensacola beat mobile because of a beach. So sadly, <laughs> sadly, some things were going to change all of my plans, man, in 1979. But that's another story for another day. Wow. All right. I tell you what, Stud, these Studcasts are so good now with all this stuff going on. I can hardly wait for next week. And next week, we've talked about it. It's going to be very exciting and with a special guest, too. All right, folks on Facebook, please do not friend request the Stud on his Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It has a maximum of 5,000 fans. It's been full for years. To become friends with him on Facebook, simply go to either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud page or his Ron Fuller Welch author page. Like and follow him there. You automatically become friends that way. And then if anything is posted on either page, it will show up on all three pages. So you never miss a thing on Twitter. You can follow the stud at Ron Fuller Welch on Twitter. Find everything on Ron's website, tnstud.com. That's tnstud.com. You got Studcast, Super Studcast, historic videos, a photo gallery, his stud store with souvenirs of all kind, autograph photos, tremendous Continental DVD wrestling five packs, T-shirts, Tennessee stud mask, and his chilling novel, Brutus. Visit him now at tnstud.com. You can stay a while. There's plenty to do and see there. Don't forget the brand new Studs streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. We introduced it earlier in this Studcast. It is the future for the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. It's absolutely the future for Ron. Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel has many things, but the fantastic streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, will have everything that the stud has ever produced in the past, in the present, and into the future as well. It will be added to daily for years to come. Don't miss out on this at all, fans. You don't want to miss it. Stream the stud's story. Only $4.99 per month. $4.99 per month or knock it all out at one time. $39.99 per year. You save a lot of money that way. It gets you everything. Get started today and get a free week bonus on your first month. Okay, so where are we riding next week, Ron? Well, it's a special one, man. We talked about it uh, earlier, and uh, it's going to have a special guest on it to celebrate the opening of my second territory, southeastern Pensacola. Charlie Platt's going to be with us live, uh, and he was the southeastern TV commentator. And the wonderful part about this, Dave, is it's almost exactly 44 years to the day from the from the date that the, this opening was. And uh, so for the first time ever, uh, uh, we're going to have a Southeastern P T TV show. Uh, and uh, you're going to be uh, live. And uh, Charlie's going to be here with us live, man. I'm really looking forward to that. And, uh, and I I'll keep him straight when he gets to visit you, man. So <laughs> we're going to talk about the cards in both territories. Uh, Andre the Giant going to be in both territories on the next one. We're going to tell a couple of Andre stories in the next one, and we're going to even play the audio from that first interview that I did with Charlie Platt 44 years ago yep. <laughs> on that first <laughs> TV show. And uh, you use some of it in the opening every every time I hear it. It reminds me of that interview. Yeah. 
So hopefully we will have time for another learning tree question next week. I hope we will anyway. And uh, this upcoming episode, number 240, is going to be a fun one. And it's also going to be a historic one. So please make your plans to join us and tell your friends about this one, man. Uh, they might want to experience this next one as well. And I want to thank everybody again for joining us. Please take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all, including the Ukrainians across the big pond. Amen, stud. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.